Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. As we sit down and explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone. As he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with a two-time World Series champ and current skipper of the Chicago Cubs, David Ross. Here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I sit down with a two-time World Series champion. Played 15 years in the big leagues and is currently the skipper for the Chicago Cubs. Ladies and gentlemen, David Ross. David, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me, Booney. I appreciate it. Good to be here. All right. I got a couple fans out there. I like we're going live with the Boone Podcast. It's different. Most, I love it. most of my most of my podcasts aren't live. Um, I got to town this morning. I went out. I went out to Mariners Camp. Catch up with a couple old buddies. Saw Ichiro and Cammy and Edgar. And I went up in the booth and I I did a few innings. Now all this is new to me. You know, people have been asking me, what do you think of the pitch clock? What do you think of this? The bases, the Pee Wee Herman bases, they're extra big now. <laughs> I, said, I said, actually, for a second baseman, now that you can't be taken out on a double play, I need the bigger bag to keep my foothold. So I said, it's an advantage for me as an offensive player. You know, I'm going to get to second a little bit earlier. I thought about getting to first, but when you get to first, the first baseman has that extra length, too. So... He gains ground as well, so it's a tie. But going to second, you got a little advantage, first to third. Anyway, the bases, that's one thing. But the big talk around baseball is the pitch clock, and you're the perfect guy. I know you've had some Zoom meeting or something, you and Aaron Boone. You've got to know the rules because this is going to fall on you. My early, I'm going to give you my early take. I did four innings today. The swiftness of the game is unbelievable, and I, I think that's just a result. It's almost like the hitters are thinking, not only do I have to stay in the box, but I'm going to swing as well. I, I don't know if that's an early just uh, what's coming from the 20 seconds, but I started asking people questions. I said, well, what is the 20 seconds? What if the, what if the, the manager come out and he's got a beef? He's going to argue. What if, I, what if a fly goes in my eye? What, what if it's raining and the pitcher needs... Uh, a rosin bag. All these little nuances, because on, on face value, you just say 20 seconds. Oh, it's, it speaks for itself. What if you're catching, and you know when you're not getting a couple pitches, you're jawing with the umpire back there, and that umpire takes his mask off, starts, all right, does the pitch clock stop? You know, you know it's going to come time. I saw Manny Machado, and he was the first one that got dinged, you know, the first day. Yeah, and it was yeah. all fun and games, and he's making jokes. I'll tell you what, in April, when it goes on the back of your bubblegum card, people aren't going to be joking about it. <laughs> your early take, the first week, what you know that I don't know, what's the early feedback? I think the, the thing that stood out so far is I think the umpires, Major League Baseball, the players, and all the coaching staff, we're all – trying to do right by the game. I think the integrity of the game is still staying intact. If there is a bug in the eye, everybody's, the umpires are able to reset that. The umpires are working their way through this, just like we are. A lot of conversations on the field. We had a meeting with uh, Mike Hill and uh, Major League Baseball and the umpires yesterday going back over questions like that. Uh, and the spirit of, ga- of the game is going to stay intact. But I'm like you. The pace of the game, the flow, um, the way hitters are attacking or pitchers are attacking hitters has created a sense of um, you know, just like, let's go, here we go. 
uh, pitchers are in the zone. It's, it's really moving at a great pace. And I think at the end of the day, it's a better product if I'm a fan. Um, there are going to be some nuances. There are going to be some moments of adjustment. And I think you're going to see a lot of hiccups early. But those things hopefully are, are, ironed, out, are ironed out by May. Yeah, I think it's something that's going to – let's see as we go. Sure. Just at first glance, I look at it and I think, well – you know, as a hitter, I wasn't the quickest to get back in the box, but I also wasn't one of those guys that walked around. So I guess if you just put a pitch clock, once I get used to it, it really wouldn't be a big deal for the hitter. But I think some of these pitchers and some of these pitchers that that do take their time, you know, I think of like a Clayton Kershaw. He's been in the game for in the big leagues for 18, 19 years, and all of a sudden he's got to do it a certain way. I think it would be a little bit more advantageous for the hitter but I'm not sure. The pitchers that get it and throw it, they love it because now other guys have to do the same thing. I just think late in a game, in a big situation, the guy's struggling, bases loaded. You will know as well as anybody as a catcher when you're just not on the same page as your pitcher and you'd give him the one more time through. You can't do that. Right. He's got to deliver the ball now. That's what I see in just sure. the brief the brief four or five innings I saw today. Sure. The, the one thing that stood out to me and that I know over some of the rule chains that have come since I've been managing and a little bit before, the athletes are going to adjust. They're going to figure out a way to compete at a really high level within the, the boundaries. Uh, I think as a player, I never liked rule changes. Don't mess with my game. Don't, you know, I, I know the way to play it. Um, but this is coming, and I think it's going to give, one, a, a, a sense of urgency to the game. Um, I think players are going to have to be better, Booney. I think pitchers are going to have to hold runners better. They're going to have to be able to throw over. They're going to have to think out there on their own. You're not going to, I'm not going to be able to be the catcher that walks out uh, anytime chaos hits and slow things down and change your mindset. There's going to have to be a sense of um, control out there for yourself and holding runners and, and doing some of the nuanced things that have gotten away from our game. And so, yes, there will be struggles for some, but it's going to weed out and reward the all-around better baseball players, pitchers, hitters uh, alike. I think the athleticism is going to come back into our game uh, defensively from the shift. Um, the bigger bases, uh, you know, we were talking about Lou Pinella earlier. I, earlier, I asked uh, Mike Hill the other day, is it heavier in case I want to pull a Lou Pinella and get right. tossed out and chuck that thing? So um, all joking aside, I think it's going to be much better for our game and, and and the fan will benefit from that and you know we'll get we won't have these four and a half hour games that we can get sometimes you've been listening to your players i mean it, it's only been six games but what, do you, what are you hearing from the kids they're, they're questions there's a lot of questions and confusion right we're all confused we, we've explained the rules I, i've we've given two presentations on the rules we talk through them um i help each guy and it's just you know, we experience better by by experiences, by having failure, getting called a strike, having a ball called, the in between inning stuff. Some of the catchers that I've had have called any, you know, called time and with two seconds left, nobody on. Uh, you can't do that. So they're learning this now, and I think I'm so glad that Major League Baseball put this in to start the season, to start spring training, rather than waiting uh, for the season like we do sometimes, because there's going to be a lot of uh, trial and error that goes through to have us work out the kinks. We got the bases, the pitch clock. There's a new rule this year. Now, I'm not a base stealer. Uh, you know, I was a 10, 10, 10 bag a year guy. You pay attention. You hit pumps. That's what you did. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you pay too much attention to me. I'll just stay right over here at first base. <laughs> um, but as a catcher, you can throw over twice. Once you throw over twice, 
If you go a third time and you don't pick him off, he automatically goes to, to second. Now, the layman thought is, and just I'm thinking, the true base stealers, the gifted base stealers, this is going to be an advantage for them. Sure. The guys like me, the guys that steal the base when you give it to them, when no one's looking, uh, I don't think it's going to be that much of a difference. As a catcher, what are you thinking? Uh, I think there's going to be tendencies, right? I think, you, like, again, uh, you got to negate some of that. Just being quick to the plate is going to help a lot of that. Um, you know, it, it's definitely going to increase. The numbers are show that the base stealing part of the game is going to increase. I think that's an exciting part of that game that's going to help come back. So um, you're going to have to have your stuff together. Uh, you will. There will be moments when you pick twice in a row and that guy's going to get a really big lead and uh, start to kind of jockey over there and you pick him off, he gets it anyway. So the strategy behind all of those things are things that we're trying to feel out right now, thinking through the pros and cons. And, you know, there will be some teams and organizations that take advantage of some of this and have some, um, you know, tricks up their sleeves at times. And I think the league will learn and adjust and we'll figure out how to uh, all get on a, a level playing field competitively. You came into the game in the early 2000s. Uh, I'm talking big league side. When there weren't, you know, Barry Bonds comes up, we're going to shift. Yeah. You got a major shift. Now, throughout your career, the shift kind of came into vogue. And everybody started doing the shift. They banned the shift for this year. There's only two infielders on. You can't have four, four right. guys. You can't have Manny Machado playing right field anymore. As a fan... You know, because now, you know, the ex-players, we, you hear too many ex-players, oh, it's better when, don't change the game, it's better when I play. I think that's an ignorant way to look about it. You know, it doesn't mean you have to like everything, but the game moves forward. It's 2023. Sure. You know, and as a 53-year-old Brett Boone, it's not my game right now. It's the guys playing this game, and one day it's going to be their kid's game. So some of the changes are going to be great, and we're going to look back and go, wow, that was cool. Can you believe we, they didn't change that before then? I never thought that you should be able to tell somebody how to defense, but the game's got to a point where I think there's a stalemate and they need to make a change there. They're going to change a shift. Are you, you think you're going to push it to the edges where, and, and who's going to determine whether he's on this side of the bag or not? I still saw today they were shifting, just not to the extreme. Yeah, you're still going to, like Kyle Schwarber comes up, you're going to pinch the shortstop as far up the middle as you possibly can and play that four hole. Um, that stuff's reviewable. The, the positioning's reviewable. You got to be on the grass, all the new rules. Um, there's some lateral rules as well about movement for some guys. But um, I like it. I, you know, I don't want to compare our game to the Little League game, but I got to do TV for a minute. And, um, you know, they had dead in the ball when I got to do the Little League World Series for ESPN. And the defense that showed up in the athleticism I thought was really exciting. Keeping the ball in the ballpark. These, these young kids were making spectacular plays. We're going to see some of the best athletes in the world making great plays up the middle. Really excited. We just got Dansby Swanson, moved our uh, shortstop, Nico Horner, over to second base, who was a gold glove finalist a few years ago. Uh, and I can't wait to see these guys just go to work up the middle and some of the athleticism and the plays they're going to make. That's exciting for fans. I love to see highlight plays. It's pretty boring when a guy hits, you know, I watched David Ortiz, Brian McCann, Kyle Schwarber, Anthony Rizzo hit, you know, 110 mile an hour ground balls to the right side and a guy standing in short right field, pick it up and throw him out. I thought, I always thought David Ortiz would hit like 400 one year just from all the hard hit balls he hit over there. So um, I do think it's more exciting, more rewarding in the you know, it, it, that's, a, that's a boring game when there's not action, and, and this will create a lot more action, I believe. 
I think one thing it will do is it, it'll it'll show the true shortstops. Because I was a second baseman, and I was I, I tell people all the time I was a second baseman for a reason. Because I couldn't make that play in the hole at short, but second it was perfect and right up my alley. The shortstop always has been the best defender on the field, sure. and you're going to get to see a true short. You're going to see who the real true shortstops are again. I agree with you though on your assessment of the athleticism now in the game. I remember back when I was playing, I was pretty cru- I was pretty critical of my of my peers, and there were two or three guys that I'd look to and go. That guy's great. He's elite. He's elite. But there wasn't more than two or three that I could count. I watched the game today. And like you said, the athleticism, I see guys I've never heard of making moves, and I'm going, that's not that easy of a move at second base. And he just made it. And I've never, who's that, Jones? I've never heard of him before. So I think you're right. The athletic, these kids today, you know, everybody likes to say bigger, stronger, faster, whatever, but there's more to it than that. They're, they're playing the game at a higher physical level. Sure, and it's going to keep, I think, I think the other bonus there is going to keep, you know, teams from taking a bat and putting Matt that second base position, you know, these third basemen that they, they trade for, and they, all of a sudden they put them at second. Second, I always thought was another, I mean, you got to be able to turn a double play with somebody coming in on you. I mean, there's a, some athleticism to that and uh, range, and with the shift, you didn't have to have that. You could put more of a bat uh, at that position as long as they knew how to turn, too. So, um, again, I just think the well-rounded athletic player is going to rise uh, and, and have a spot in the game, and defense is going to come back into our game as a premium. Uh, you were born in Georgia, grew up in Tallahassee. Uh, 94, you got drafted by the Dodgers. University of Auburn, Florida State. Florida Gators. Florida, Florida. Uh, Tallahassee has Florida State. That's my hometown. Yep. Yep. Uh, 1998, ninth round pick of the Dodgers. And that's where it all started. 2002, you touched the big leagues for the first time. Uh, Jim Tracy, I believe, is your big, yeah. your first skipper. Yeah. Um, what was your, you know, I have so many guys on the show, and we talk about that first. You know, I had a guy, Jay Buner, who was mad. He gave me that tough love. I mean, he'd tell me to sit down and shut up, and, and it was a different game back then. I didn't, of course, because I was that young, brash <laughs> punk, and I had to bump my head several times before I learned, but Jay was a big part of that uh, mentoring me. Kevin Mitchell, believe it or not, was a huge guy that kind of taught me the ropes. Did you have a guy when you got to the Dodgers that that really kind of took you under his wing? Yeah, I mean, Paul Aduka was a starting catcher. Um, Chad Kruder got hurt, and I I filled in for him um, while he was down. Uh, But I, I, I go back and look at some of the things that I got to experience Early in my career, uh, Dave Roberts was a mentor to me. He's uh, uh, now a manager, obviously, of the Los Angeles Dollars, Dodgers. Alex Cora was on that team. Uh, Robin Ventura used to take me golfing. Kevin Brown, um, Darren Dreifer really was really good to me. You know, Paul Shuey, was all kind of, uh, Gagne was on that team. We had a really good group of guys, but um, Ron Coomer was my locker mate. He now does radio for the Cubs, and, uh, you know, he, he taught me the things that we don't talk about now anymore, about rookie, you, you get here at, you know, 1 o'clock, get your work in, get, if you've got to get in, the, stay out of the training room, first of all. We don't, we don't go in the training room. It's so different now. Everybody goes in and prepares in the training room. Back in the day, you know, if you're in the training room, uh, you were going to uh, hear about it from a veteran. Get in the cage before the veterans get in there. Guys like Sean Green, Eric Caros, um, Marquise Grissom, Brian Jordan. I mean, these guys, they treated me so well, but they, they showed me the way. You know, they, they, 
they were harsh, but it was all in, in good fun and love and teaching me to be a big leaguer. Um, those are the things that I think I look back on. I, tell, I talk to my team all the time. One of the most important things that I try to tell them is when I retired and was out of the game for a minute doing TV, when I ran into old teammates, when I ran into guys I used to play with or guys that I played against, I would talk to them and all they ever talked about, they never talked about the big hit that their teammate got or the big, you know, no hitter this person threw through uh, on a Wednesday night. They talked about how guys influenced their career. They talked about how you are, talking about Jay Buhner, uh, what Willie was saying about you and, and how he you influenced his career and how you took him under his wing. Those are the things that I think impact players and create a tight-knit group and guys that are willing to take time and show you how to be a big leaguer, whether that's out of tough love or taking you to breakfast like Dave Roberts used to do on the road. Um, taught me a lot and taught me uh, how to go about my business and I'm extremely thankful for those guys and so a lot of those guys done that for me and, and I think that's what shaped a lot of my beliefs as a manager and also as a, a player yeah you mentioned Willie Bloomquist who we had on the podcast earlier uh, he was he, he was just a young kid coming up you know I was probably nine or ten years in the big leagues and he was just getting there and he was hungry and he just wanted to learn and he was just a great kid to begin with mind all his p's and q's always did the right thing and he'd always come to me and say booney what do you think of this and and i felt it at that stage of my career especially it's like this is what i i owe him this to 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 give him the best advice i can and and it's true 14 years later i showed up at a padre game i think he was playing with the mariners and I was so proud of him from where he started, that rookie that didn't know whether he was coming or going, didn't know if he was playing third base or right field. And, and he might go two weeks without an at-bat. He played for 15 years, and, and he's one of my favorite teammates that I've ever had. Uh, just that raw sense of humor. Um, and, and now he's, he's coaching Arizona State, and, and I really am. I, it, when I look at him, he's almost like a, one of my kids. Not in the sense, but I'm really proud of him and the man he is and, and what he's doing now and mentoring these young college kids. It's important, and yeah. I think the great ones do that. Yeah. You know, pass on what, what somebody gave to you. I ran into Dave Hansen. We were at the, the Eddie Vedder concert at Inexpress the other night. Yeah. yeah, so Dave, Dave was one of those guys. Same thing. Get her early, talked hitting with awesome me. Awesome guy. Yeah, I mean, just... Those are, those are some of the things I'll never forget, and I, I run into those guys, and I'm so thankful for everybody. You know, every teammate you ever have touched your life in some way in the major leagues. You become family in some sense, especially the good teams you've been on. So, um, you know, I feel like I'm a product. Like you said, it feels like family or a little brother. You feel like you're a product of uh, a little bit of everybody. First homer. Mark Grace. That, now that's funny. Did you feel like, should I count that one? I got to hit another one to make it real. No, it really is. It's the greatest story. I tell him all the time. I, I ran to him the other night as well, and he works for our TV network. And um, every time he was doing TV, I, and I would come to the plate for the rest of my career, he would always call me the best hitter on the team, which I have a career 220 hitter, so we know that wasn't true. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what a great, cool moment. I mean, he's out there doing the fetter and pitching in the ninth and he's got two quick outs and I come up and I'm just a hungry kid trying to make a, a name for myself. I got a, it's an M110 pro stock model that I'm swinging, you know, my first home run and uh, taking Gracie deep and him yelling at me running around the bases. It's really is one of those great stories I still get to tell and a cool moment. We did a, uh, 
a radio show the next morning here in Arizona, and I, I think I laughed for the 30 minutes we were on this radio show. He's just telling jokes and, uh, you know, telling me I was killing his thunder and taking the limelight away from him. I'm like, buddy, I'm, I'm just trying to, trying to compete, and I got my first hit in that same game. So uh, good memories there. Uh, Gracie's been awesome about it. Early in your career, I mean, I'm looking at this. You were sold to the Pirates, played for McClendon there, traded to the Padres, got to play for Boach, one of my favorite guys you mentioned. Love play- Who doesn't love playing for Boach? Um, you played with Dusty Baker for Dusty Baker in 08 with the Reds. Your career, you played a long time. You had a great career. Weren't always the starter. Backup. You had guys that wanted to only throw to you. What did you learn? What did that entail? You know, I'll tell you, as a second baseman who, who grew up with a dad that played 19 years in the big leagues, I didn't pay one bit of attention to the catching position. My dad, as a kid, he wouldn't let me catch. As I get away from the game and I step back, I realize how important the catcher is. I watch great teams they got to have the defense behind home plate. And I think about it, as a, which I never did as a player, with a relationship with my shortstop. I, I played for five years in Cincinnati. My, my partner was Barry Larkin. I never had anything like that again. It was like we knew where each other were at all times. It, not to get weird, but we just kind of knew. I trusted him. I could spin and wheel and throw. And if I didn't make a good throw, he'd make it look like it was a good throw and vice versa. And that trust was unbelievable. And then I, I put that into the realm of that catcher's relationship with the starting staff and how much at ease. If you've got these horses, these great pitchers, and they're coming to the ballpark going, yes, and I'm in sync with my catch. That is so important versus that pitching staff's like, oh, I got to throw to him tonight. Tell me what you learned in that early part of your career, not always being a starter, being a backup catcher, having to maybe catch every fifth day. Sure your interactions and your relationship with your pitchers. Yeah, I think I think as you get years in the major leagues, your career evolves. You learn how to, you know, you first get there, you're just trying to, to hang around, you're happy to be there, you want to stay for a little bit long enough, and then you want to get paid a little bit, and then you get some money, and you want to get a contract, and, and, and then once you get paid, uh, you just want to win, right? And um, you learn how to evolve into, you always want to be a starter early on. I got to a point when I went to Atlanta to back up Brian McCann, and I knew he's a six-time silver slugger, all-star, you know, multiple years. Uh, I knew I was a backup, and being able to own that and know that I was there as a support staff for him really changed my trajectory of my career and stopped trying to put so much pressure on my performance and just, I'm here to service him. When I, my, my job, the days that I caught, was to not let have him get off the bench and have to pinch hit for me in the eighth because we were down. If I just win the baseball game, if I'm winning, I will stay in the game. And I always kept that mindset, even when I got to catch John Lester on the back end of my career, my joke to him all the time was, if you suck, I get pinch hit for it. I don't get to play nine innings. You know what I mean? So it was very valuable for me to get the most out of my pitcher. And that started off the field. It started to go into dinners, to hanging out, you know, having a couple beers, um, get to know them on a personal level. Who do you need to kick in the butt? Who do you need to pat on the back? And it kind of went from there, just getting those relationships and caring like it's your brother out there. I, I, I talk about that a lot. It's you talked about trust and being able to trust. I can spin and just throw it. 
over there because I trusted my partner. That's what I, I think we're based on. When you want to win, you trust the guy behind you in the lineup. You trust the guy on the field. You trust that the coaches are putting you in the right place. You trust that the hitting coach is giving you the right information with the reliever coming in. All those things are based on experiences and everybody having their shit together. You know what I mean? And so um, when you build that trust, you build that foundation and I do my homework and my pitcher knows I'm calling the right pitch because of the homework I've done and what I know and how we've set them up and how their stuff plays. It takes a, it takes all the thinking out of the game. And you can go and be an athlete and that's when we're at our best. We turn our brains off and are just to be able to know, know our information go out there on the field and turn it loose and play and that's a big part of what I learned as my career transpired and you say a lot you know I I got to play with uh, in the early 2000s in in Seattle Danny Wilson was our catcher and a great one and not that we took him for granted but he was kind of an unsung hero And, and to this day when you talk about that 0-1 team that won all those games yeah we had the guys that had the big years and and the standout years but I think of the guys like like Dan Wilson, Stan Javier, who was a part-time player but was so crucial on that team, Mark McLemore, who played all over the lot. They were so important to that team. You know, the only thing we look back when we get together, we won all those games, and we didn't finish the deal, and we look at each other and scratch our head like, it was already a foregone conclusion. We had won. You know, we were so good, and and the chemistry on that team was something I'd never seen before. I'd been on some great Reds teams. You know, I got in the the World Series with with the Atlanta Braves, and and we just kind of seemed like Bobby Cox rolled out the lineup, and we just steamrolled people. Uh, But that Mariner team, it was just different. But that catching position, it's so important, and just being on the same page. And like you said, you took... You took it personal, like, I don't want to get pinch hit for today, and how does that not happen? By me calling my ass off in this pitcher, and that pitcher, he might not have his best stuff. Now you're, is, is, was your goal to, I'm going to get him through when he doesn't have his best stuff? Yeah, I think it's, it, and that's where I was, you know, I, I don't like to talk about myself in, in that way, but that was a strength of mine, managing a game and getting the most out of somebody that day, whether, no matter how good or bad their stuff was anybody can call a game for you know nolan ryan randy johnson like you know that's when they're on when they're on that's what i mean when they're when they're money but when they don't have it how do you do you know that he can he can flip in the 2-0 curveball with a minute second third get back get yourself back in the count like what trust do you have where where's the hole of the hitter and and how does that play with a is it a carry four is it are we sinking balls in trying to get ground ball double plays just the strength of that pitcher and knowing how well and also you know i i talk about this now going in to a spring training bullpen and you hear the pitching coach the guy's you know pulling his slider pulling his slider it's garbage it, 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 it's a short release and backing up and all of a sudden the pitching coach says says something in his bullpen and all of a sudden you're watching he's banging out three nasty ones in a row like you say okay time at the end of that bullpen i need to know what was said because i might have to make a trip during a game in august where that slider is lost i want to know what that pitching coach said to lock that in that's the depth of what you need to be thinking about and those are the things I paid attention to you know and it it kept me in the I mean again I was a 220 hitter I hit had a year that I hit a buck 80 and got a two-year deal <laughs> you know that wouldn't have happened in your day right that I, I talked Dean Palmer lives in my hometown is a really good friend friend of mine and I, I was laughing at it one time it was awful in Boston and Chicago gave me a two-year deal uh, because of my catching skills and backing up and John had a lot to do with that Lester but you know, those are the intricacies that started to pay off in the game and the value that I brought, whether it's pitch framing, game calling, game management, um, 
were strengths of mine. And so I tried to hone in on those, be a nice guy on days I wouldn't play, root on my teammates, and like, shoot, team's going to give me a couple million bucks to do that, be a nice guy and play really hard. Like, I'll sign up for that every day of the week. And that's awesome. And, and like you said, when they don't have their best stuff, I had Leo Mazzoni in, in Atlanta, and this one, it was Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin, yeah. and I used to tease him. I said... How good of a pitching coach are you, really? He goes, Booney, anybody that's got these three guys, if you, if you can't be good here, you can't be good. And he goes, and I get all this credit. He goes, but I'll take it because it pays me a lot of money. <laughs> the, what you were talking about is getting those guys through a game when they necessarily didn't have their best stuff. And they probably let you know, and you knew, I was a big part of that win right there. That's got to be where the real... That's the, yeah, that's the fulfillment for me. Was I felt like I did my job. You know, we, we, we joke, my our old catching coordinator is no longer with our organization, but um, one for three with a win, you know what I mean? Or one for four and a win. If, we, if I feel like I caught a win that day, I did a lot to contribute to that and help, you know, whether it's I got a guy over, I worked a walk, you know, the offensive stuff, we, we, we focus so much on offense, but, man, if you've got a catcher um, – that can just pull out W's and knows how to win games, manage the lineup, do the little things to find the matchups that you know are best for your uh, pitcher that day and, and, and know who's on deck and know a guy that's locked in and had a 15-pitch at bat the time before and, you know, you got a, a guy that swung the first pitch behind him and rolled over a ground ball. Like, you got to know those things and remember those things throughout a game and uh, those things will help you win. Like I mentioned, you were moving around a lot early. Uh, you went to the Red Sox in 08, played for, for Terry Francona. Bobby Cox, uh, 09 through 12. And you go to the Red Sox. John Farrell, obviously the first of two for you World Series. Take me through that two thir- 2013, being in the city of Boston. Now, 04 was when they broke, you know, it was the first time ever. But World Series, I don't think, ever get old. Take me through that 13th season, how special it was. I think, who were your guys there? Lackey, Lackey Lester, who was, Buck Holtz. was your guy, Buck yep. Holtz. Peavy. Peavy. Peavy came over in a trade. Um, we were really deep, really good. Uh, David was on that. David Ortiz was on that team. Dustin Pedroia was a stud. Johnny Gomes, uh, Stephen Drew. Uh, Mike Napoli is now on my coaching staff, was our first baseman. Uh, me and Jared, Jared Saltlamacchia were both kind of co-starters um but what stands out to me about that that world series that that gets lost if you don't know the history is like that was the year of the bombing the marathon bombing in boston and i've never felt such a close connection to a city so fast uh we were visiting hospitals and and um you know we we had a day game uh that the 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 game patriots day uh that day and then a lot of families were going over to the bombing and that um, sad day where uh, those two bombs went off and listened to on the news and watching policemen run towards danger and these people, these just absolute heroes uh, going to save people's lives and, and uh, carry people away from the danger. And then we visited hospitals later and people are excited to see Red Sox players and they just lost limbs. It's just the most humbling thing I've ever been a part of and, and such a connection as a city searching for these terrorists. And, um, you know, we felt a sense of 
responsibility to take the minds off for the three hours we were playing baseball, the people, all the tragedy that happened to that city and give these people a minute to turn off. And to be a part of that was, was really, really special to go on that run. We weren't expected to win. We were just a bunch of grinders, good baseball players. You know, David Ortiz going to the Hall of Fame. Dustin Pedroia is one of the better players I've ever played with. But um, we had grinders and baseball players. Dustin Pedroia, I mean, um, Jacoby Ellsbury, Shane Victorino was our outfield. Uh, just, just absolute studs and um we came together so tightly after that bombing that uh it's just such a special day it's a 10-year anniversary this year of that and uh so happy to be a part of that special group that was awesome and 15 and 16 you go to chicago and this time you did break the curse and i remember i remember where i was when you guys won I remember I couldn't believe you guys won because everybody would ask me, why haven't the Cubs ever won, Booney? And I'd be like, because it's really hard when the majority of your games are day games and everybody else doesn't play day games. As, as players, we're creature of habit. You know, we're used to having, okay, everybody's got the day game on Sunday. But for the most part, you play at 7 o'clock every night. You have your routine. You, you, you might get up, have breakfast, sleep in on the road, get to the yard at three, 3 in the afternoon and do it again. All of a sudden, when you're the only team in town that's playing three, four day games a week, I said, they'll never win because they can't keep up that schedule. You guys proved me wrong in 2016. It, it was pretty awesome. The two biggest cities where you won your world championships, Chicago, Boston, uh, the only maybe maybe New York could be a little bit bigger, but I don't think so. When you talk about the the sports fans in those cities, you know, I look at a city like like Philadelphia. Same thing. You win there, that place goes berserk. Boston, Chicago had to be the first one. Take me through that second World Series. Yeah, I mean, like, look, being a part of being on that run and a part of that group is just you know when you get to be a part of any of those, your brothers for life. And we, we did have such a, a great group of guys. We had a good mix of veterans and guys. They brought over John Lester and uh, he brought me over and Theo and had been a part of that in Boston and a lot of the same, um, you know, building this thing from the ground up and getting minor leaguers. And, you know, they, they lost for a little while to get some of these first round picks. It was, it was the, the kind of formula back in the day. And, um, you know, we got the Kyle Schwarbers and the Anthony Rizzo's and the Chris Bryant's and the Javi Baez. I mean, these guys were absolute stud position players. And you couple that and throw in the lackey again, got me another ring. John Lester got me a ring. Jake Arrieta, Cy Young Award winner, was probably one of the best pitchers I've ever been a part of. Got to catch a no-hitter for him. I mean, we had absolute uh, Kyle Hendricks, who's still uh, one of my, he's one of my pitchers now uh, and, you know, the only teammate I got left on the on the team. So um, we had the staff. We had a great bullpen. We go out and get Araldis Chapman from the Yankees right at the deadline to close things down. And um, like you said, the good teams you're on, and you, there's a chemistry there, and we played for one another. And the outside noise, all the curses, and all the the distractions never creeped into our clubhouse we just did our thing and uh, I credit that a lot to Joe Madden our manager who um, just kept things absolutely loose let us the veteran guys run the clubhouse and um, we just went out there and played and these young guys carried us and it was just such a magical ride that city is I mean look again I'd have, I've said this enough but I wasn't a good player and they treat me like a king when I walk into that city or a restaurant um, after we won that World Series it's just they were hungry for that and being able to be a part of that 16 team I just feel so fortunate to play a little small role in helping uh, that group 
go to the World Series and win it. It was a, it was a fun, fun time. Well, I think you're a better player than you're letting on. But I understand uh, what, what you're saying. I, I remember it so vividly. Differences between winning it in Boston, winning it in Chicago. Any difference, just as sweet, one or the one or the other. Yeah, I think. Pick. Well, I, if I had to, I think the thing that stands out to me is I learned. You know, till you get to that finish line, and to win the whole thing, you don't really know what it takes. I saw it took a group of guys coming together, bringing their lunch pail to work every single day, grinding it out and believing in one another. And no matter what happened the day before, win or lose, they did the same thing the next day, and that just carried on. It was a group of guys just loved to play baseball and knew how. Um, I think. Chicago, the magical run was I was more of a guy that had been a part of winning and helped mentor some of these young guys, was there to lift guys up during hard times and got to be a, a part of a special run. And obviously that World Series was absolutely epic, but I don't know that I have the, the Chicago one without the Boston one. Pretty awesome. Uh, you go to the White House for either or both? Both. And Brock was, was, was president for both. Really? Still, it's going to the White House. Something special. Yeah. And, and, you know, even 16, we started to get, as we are in today's times, a little bit more out there politically. But when I was growing up as a player, you know, all the politics in the world now and, and on a daily basis, it's just it just cluttered with it. When I was, when I was playing in, in the early 2000s, politics wasn't a thing, man. No, no. Nobody, nobody cared. You go to the White House, you go to the White House. You don't care who the president yeah, is. No. You go in your respect position. Had to be a cool thing, though, going to the White House. Yeah, that was special. I mean, you, you get to go in the middle of your season and, um, and you all, you know, just as a, another reminder of how special the moment you did uh, the year before. The thing, the cool thing, the coolest one for me was uh, the last one in Chicago. Um, Barack Obama's from Chicago. His wife Michelle is from Chicago. He was retiring or, you know, done in office like seven days later after we were visiting. So we had free reign of the place. He's taking us in all these rooms. But his, he's a White Sox fan. And his wife, Michelle, came in. And before we went in front of the media and, and you know, all the pomp and circumstance uh, in this little room, she walked in and started telling stories about her dad. I'm getting chills now thinking about it. And walk, coming home from school and watching the Cubs play on TV and she's crying, missing her dad and how what a special moment that was for her. The coolest thing about winning that World Series Chicago is the memories I have, but also when I run into people at the airport, I run into people at a restaurant, they tell me where they were in that moment and, and their history behind it. Those are the things that still warm my heart and that, that visit to the White House from with that story from Michelle, I'll never forget that. It is true though. Chicago Cubs winning their World Series. I remember where I was. And, you know, I don't remember where I was for any other World Series victories. You know, I know where I was when I lost in the World Series. Not in a good place. I always ask Mike Napoli. He's been to three, my, my coach and teammate. He's been to three, and he's lost two of them. I was like, I don't know if I could come back from that. No, but he won one. I, I had Andre Reid on the program, went to four Super Bowls in a row, lost all four. Ooh. I said, what do you think? He goes, Booney, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take it back. I'd rather go to four sure. and lose than not go to four and win. Or, no, not go to four at all. Sure. So. Sure. All right. You retire. Now, uh, Now, where does this... Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You got to go to Saturday Night Live, too. Oh, you got Give to me that. Give stuff. me that story. I've yeah. been wanting to go to Saturday Night Live my whole career. Never made it there. Yeah, I got to do a lot of cool stuff. Um, you know, everybody, the phone's ringing off the hook, and they asked me, Dex, Dexter Fowler, Riz, um to go to Saturday Night Live and be on with Bill Murray and, and 
hang out. They, they flew us there. PJ landed. We landed at like nine in the morning, went straight, started like trying on stuff. They had all wardrobe. It's, it, this place is run like a machine. Um, cut all these these uh, fabric up and put us all in these different outfits. We had like a trial run uh, and Bill Murray's in there teaching us stuff and we're having a good, we're like celebrating, but we're, we're kind of nervous that we're going on and it's live, but like Bill Murray's like, I oh, don't worry about it. You'll be with me. And so, um, yeah, we learned our skit that day, ran it through three times and next thing you know, you're on like, here it is. Go. I mean, I mean that, that is awesome though. You go from, all right, we're going to win this. We're going to break the curse for my second ring, by the way, we're going to go to the white house and, and now I'm at Saturday Night live doing with Bill Murray. And by the way, I'm going to do dancing with the stars next, <laughs> which I got to hear about. I knew that was coming. Cause you're the first baseball player ever to do it. You were runner up. Lindsay was your partner. Yeah. Lindsay's awesome. She's not on this series. I, I heard a fan that's in the crowd today. She told me, Lindsay's not on this season, but da David danced with Lindsay. I said, yeah, I know David danced with Lindsay. I do my homework here in the Boob Podcast. How did that know. come about? I, I don't know that I could yeah. do it. Yeah. I well, I didn't know that I could. I, it really was. So that season, I, I got to take it way back. So when I was in Boston in 13 and won the World Series, I watched uh, a really good friend of mine, Ryan Dempster, was retiring at the end of the year, and he said... I'm going to go throughout this year and I'm going to have experiences. We did things, a lot of stuff that I can't talk about, but like things that we did throughout the year and, and that he said, I'm going to say yes, I'm going to enjoy myself. And so when I knew I was going in 2016 and retiring, I took that mindset. I went to Philadelphia and I went to the Rocky Steps. I always stayed in my hotel room. I went down and got me a, a cheesesteak in Philadelphia. I went on a helicopter ride of downtown in New York. Everywhere I went, I tried to experience something that I didn't do before and just try to say yes to opportunities. And it was a probably the best year of my career. I've got, you know, I caught a no-hitter. I got a couple standing ovations, leaving, you know, my final time, I, I, I hit home run in game seven. I mean, like, things just went my way. My teammates treated me great, and a lot of things went my way. And it all was from saying yes. So the phone call, the email comes to my agent, like, hey, we want David. We've never had a baseball player on. We've had that, try, that they had tried to have a couple people on, and nobody would do it. And I immediately said no, like, no thanks. Like, I'm not a dancer. I'm the guy that has too many beers and grinding up on my wife at the time, you know? So <laughs> um, I think... Um, the, and then Mate said, well, the, the producer wants to call you and talk to you for a minute. And we talked, and she explained. She's like, let me give you somebody's number, and I want you to give him a call and just talk to him about it. And she gave me Jerry Rice's number. And so I'm like, well, this is cool. You know, I think it's called Jerry Rice, but we're talking dancing. Um, and I called Jerry, and he says, you know, this is, it, it was one of the best experiences he's ever had in his life. And that stood out to me, the way he talked about the experience um, and so I said, yes, man, I had done so many things. What I got to lose, I'm figuring I'm going to be on there for a week to two weeks. That's a wrap. I'll go home and retire and start spending time with my family. And it just like people kept voting for me and it carried, I, I mean, I was on there with Mr. T who was like, I grew up on the A team and like, you know, I pity the fool. Uh, so that was cool. My partner, Lindsay, was just an absolute rock star, a young, young girl who, amazing family. She's having kids now. Like, I follow her. It's like, what a cool experience. One of the most nervous I've ever been in my entire life. But I just went out and did my best. And it's like a job. It's a lot of hard work. And I uh, learned a lot about myself uh, during the whole process. And I'm, I don't know that I'd do it again. I'm glad I did it. I don't know that I'd do it again. But 
it was a really, really cool experience. And like you said, I finished second. I have no idea how that happened. I got really good friends out of it. Simone Biles, uh, Rashad Jennings ended up winning it. Um, a lot of cool people and, and uh, you know, almost a, a family while you're doing experience in that show and I'm, I'm, I'm so glad I did it and actually there's a lot of I still have a lot of fans that just remember me from from being a dancer not a major league player or manager I would think if I were to do it I think I'd be so worried about coming on the stage and worrying about how I'm going to be perceived now probably as the weeks went on you got into the dance you're like no I'm getting better and it's about the performance like a baseball player we don't go on the field worrying about being embarrassing ourselves we're trying to win the game. So I, I, I always wrestle with it. Like, you put me on Dancing in the Stars. My first thing is, I'm going to be so worried about how stupid I look. That would be my first thought. What Actually, how is it? Yeah, I think, like, again, like, I wasn't, I wasn't the player of your stature, like a Griffey or these people that, you know, have a reputation to worry about. I just, like, backup career, backup catcher. It was on some really cool teams, and I... I you know, I tried to go into it, just have fun. Like, I just like, let me just put it all out there and just do it. I'm not going to be here long. So let me just give it my all. And I just stuck around. It, it, it really was just a, a, a really cool experience that I went in every single day. Was I, I think the hard work, I think, I, you know why athletes, I think, do well on it. One, we know how to handle the nerves and moments, but we also know I don't want to embarrass myself. So I worked hard. I mean, I'm like, we're training like seven, eight hours a day, every single day. It was a, it was a job and you better work. Cause if not, it's live. I mean, it's live. You're out there. You mess up. There ain't nobody like, you better keep going. The band's going to keep going. The people are in the crowd. It's a 15 million people watch that show. It is, it's uh, intense. So I don't want to embarrass myself. And it's your partner. That's what she does. That's her job, no You're like, I, I've got, I owe it to her. Yeah, and the to further, give it everything I can. And the further she goes, the more they, more money they make. Right. So it's like it, that's a, it's a, you know, kind of the side note of it. They do it because they love it. And she, like, I would be no, you know, nothing without her. The, the, the dancers on that show are absolutely one phenomenal dancers, but phenomenal people to take these people that don't know how to dance and teach them ballroom dancing. It's pretty impressive. Pretty cool. Um, 2017. I think, did you step in for Aaron? Is that, is that the year that Aaron left when you went to ESPN? We, I think he left in, we were together my first year, which oh, okay. was, yeah, 17. We were together. We did a couple. He, I remember okay. I tell his you. His first good, year was 18. Yeah, his first year was 18. My, we're doing a show, me, him, and uh, Book Shambi, who now works for us as well at Marquee. Um, I've, I wrote all these notes. It's like my third game. I'm like, I'm going to be so prepared. And I've got all this stuff next <laughs> to me. And um, it's like the, the, the end of the first ends. And I'm like kind of stumbling. It's not clean and whatever. The, we go to commercial break. He reaches over, grabs my sheet of paper. That's been like three days preparing for right. cr- uh, th- uh, Crumples it up, throws it in the trash, and go, they didn't hire you to read the paper. They add, that's what he does. You watch the game and tell him what David Ross sees. Right. And it's the best advice I've ever gotten because after that, it was just like, I just talked about what I saw on TV. And it was all because of Booney just saying, that's not what you're here for. You're here to talk about your experiences and what you know. And um, it was fun. I love doing TV, but Booney was a really good mentor. We did a couple games, one right before the All-Star break. Uh, he's a lot of fun because he knows catching, because the background, he played for so long. And uh, he's such a historian of the games. It was, it was fun. Very cool. That's my only Booney story I've got. You know, Aaron, said he, he lives such a clean life, and he's just that... 
That guy next door, I don't have any good story. You can't even out him on anything. You know, he was always that do-good guy. I was always the bad. Now, he's kind of the, he's kind of the jerk now in the big leagues. So Brett's becoming the good guy, and Aaron's that guy that the umpires go, oh, God, we got to go deal with Boone. How many times is he going to get thrown out of the game? You know, this series. I give him a hard time about I love that. it when he gets fired up. I said, quit arguing balls and strikes. You know you can't get away with that. You're going to get thrown out of the game. I know what he's doing. He's protecting his, his sure. players. But, uh, no, very cool. Um, all right, we get to present. Get the call. How did the? I know you worked for the Cubs right when you retired in a in a smaller capacity. Yeah. How did the the job present itself to you? Well, I had been, you know, special assistant stuff, and had been in a lot of like uh, the draft and scouting meetings. They sent me on a couple of scouting uh, trips. Um, been in the trade talks, the deadline talks. Um, just learning the business and how it functions up there. Sitting and watching the game with those guys. Very informative. And we just got to know each other and talked. And, you know, they were making a change. And Theo called me and said, you know, we'd like you to interview for the managerial job Chicago Cubs. Are you interested? And, I mean, who, first of all, who turns that down? You know, like, that's, again, going back to taking advantage of opportunities. I don't know that I ever thought, like, I'm going to manage one day. But I always sat next to the manager. You, you manage on the bench. You manage a player when you play. You're, you're making every decision and thinking through their decisions. Um, and I think, like, getting that call, preparing to go and just see what it was like. I want to know what an interview felt like and was this something for me. And I've never been in a scenario where people are just firing questions at me for, you know, seven, eight hours about what I believe in baseball and hearing myself over and over again saying the same things of what are what's important to me, what I value, what I think winning's all about, what's best for this group. Um, and so when that process was done, I left. I was like, wow, that was I, I shocked myself about what I thought and what I believed because I'd never really said it out loud. And to say it to your peers, the guys that had one been on in the front office when we won, I had worked with every single day and them asking me serious questions was very empowering for me. Uh, and I got back home and I was like, man, that was pretty cool. We'll see what happens. And I got a call back uh, from Theo and say, hey, we want you come back in. We're bringing in three more, three candidates from the original process, and you're one of them. We want to bring you back. And I went back in that process, and um, I left that going, I want this job. I want this job. They, 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 hit, they put the hammer down. Theo had sent me an email like a three-page email about all the stuff he wanted me prepared for and, and questions he wanted answered and um, that he was going to ask me about and went all the way down from bus times on the road to I need you to break down a scouting report for um, St. Louis. We're going in for a three-game series. How are you going to attack them? I mean, it was a lot. And I stayed up. I had my kids. had my mom come over and babysit my kids and um, was up all night studying for that and Went up there and did my best. I had to give a speech at the end of the whole thing, like I was addressing the team in spring training. I mean, the whole really, yeah, the whole in front of the whole front office. It was it was intense, but um, I'm glad I did it. And I I've been really finished. It's like, man, I think I'm gonna be sad if I don't get this job. I think I'm gonna be pissed, you know. Like, and luckily uh, it worked out. Coming off a of World Series in '16, some of the same Cubs when you took over were there. Yeah. Strange. Blessing. Really? Blessing. I could, I could, 
me and you are teammates and we're brothers. We're brothers for life, right? We won World Series. I'm going to tell you straight. I'm going to shoot you straight. And I'm, I feel like I'm a straight shooter. I was as a player. When, you're, when your teammates tell you the truth, there's nothing more in power. You may hate them, but you got to respect them. You're not getting down the line. I, I walk right up to them and say, hey, man, why are we dogging it down the line? You know, like, I'm going to run hard. Why don't you? And um, being having that trust in them that they knew where my, even if it was anger or emotion, they knew it was coming from a good place because of how I was with them as a teammate. So it really was, there was a lot written and said about that, about me being too close to these guys. It was the easiest thing I've ever had to do is, is be able to talk to them and be real with them and what they knew, what, what my expectations were, because I told them as a teammate. You come in your, your, your rookie year as a manager, it's the COVID year. Yeah, my gosh. Uh, that, you know, as a fan on the, on the outside looking in, I thought they did a pretty good job with what they had to work with. When they, when they piped in the sound and everything, I'm like, actually, it's pretty good. Yeah. Because yeah. I couldn't imagine, and I don't know if you could imagine as players, we've never played since high school. It's like we always have a crowd, even, even sparse spring training. There's less people than during the season. We always have a crowd. I couldn't imagine hitting in that it would be like going to, to a dome at two in the afternoon, hitting early BP, hearing the balls hit the hit the seats. That's BP, but having that happen in the game got had to be weird that first year for you. And, and, and you guys had a had a good year. There, yeah, we had a good year. We won the division. Didn't didn't hit in the postseason, but um, you know the thing that stood out. I mean, you know, there's some chirping out of the dugout. You could hear it. There are no fans in the stand. You hear everything. There's nothing to drown There's it nothing out. nothing to drown it out. So we were, we kind of created our own energy. I was proud of that group for that. But, you know, the, the funny thing that first year is we, I was pulling from every experience I ever had. I played for Bobby Cox, Terry Francona, Jim Tracy, you know, uh, Joe Madden, all these great, man, Bruce Bochy, all these great managers throughout my career. And so I'm pulling from all these things and experiences yeah. I had. COVID hit, I had nothing to lean on. I had no, I had a great front office that helped guide me with the new structure and MLB helping us all along, but like it was all new for me. And I, I'm so thankful for that because now I feel like I've I had to organize things a lot differently and kind of fly, you know, do things by the seat of my pants while we were just adjusting to time frames and talking to players and working through Zoom and being um, you know, kind of tech savvy for a little while and figuring all that things out and I'm better for it now but at the time I was very much lost in trying to figure things out and I leaned on my group they're very very helpful you have a lot of experience like you said being a backup catcher you had a lot of time to watch the nuances of the game sure. to learn the managing position you had a lot of great managers that you played for what surprised you the most to this point being a big league skipper Oh boy, um, it, it's so much more than the game. <laughs> like, you know, the things that come across my desk. I'm, I literally, you're, you're the, you're helping the, the nutritionist. You're helping the, the trainers, the strength guys. You've got a, the clubbies. Um, people deal with problems. I've never, I never knew how many issues players had. They come in your office with just personal stuff whether it's off the field you just need to talk to the manager and then hey i'm going through this i need help with this my wife's dealing with this my kids are dealing with that um there's so many things that are distracting and, and could be distracting and you need to be a counselor you need to be a friend you need to be a dad you need to be a manager uh oh yeah and we've got a baseball game that matters in about three hours there's just so much you you, you got to Talk, talking to the front office and their concerns, talking to the business side and things that they might need. There's just so much more. And, and now with this pitch clock stuff, um, 
I mean, you're watching every second. I mean, now I can't even turn off in between innings because you have to pay attention to see when who's getting a ball, who's going to strike. So there's just a lot to – there's a, a lot more of just – it's managing the game is the favorite part. I think, like, when the, when the, when it, the clock starts and, and we get to, you know, lace them up, uh, it's a lot of fun. And being a part of something special, trying to help lead a group of men and being uh, a small part to help lead them to do something special and historic like I was able to do – as a player, that's what fuels me. And, and being able in that competition and that family atmosphere uh, is what I thrive off of. And I, I, you just brought up another point that, I'm, that I didn't think about. That third base coach, is for, for people out there listening to the, to the podcast, the third base coaching box is a hot seat. I mean, that's not an easy job. You usually don't get praise for the great sense, but they're always going to – your front page when you make a bad send, and it happens – added to that now they're given the signs so they're on the pitch clock too so now there's even more pressure because you know as players if you play this game long enough you always have that one time where you're just not getting the sign and you got to have a powwow with your third base coach with the pitch clock that doesn't happen anymore so you got a little additional pressure not only when do i send when do i hold him but now i i got to give these signs i got to give them crisp i can't be too easy about him but at the same time i got to make sure he gets him how was our meeting today so we're we're uh we're who's at third base uh willie harris willie harris willie harris world series champ with the white Sox, uh from an area cairo georgia right right close to my hometown um great guy but that's what we're talking about how are we getting these things fast how are we getting them clean we don't want to interrupt we want these guys to be able to go through their um you know cadence to get in the box the the base runners you're gonna have to be on top of your stuff and all the little details that we always harp on you don't have enough time to not be on top of those things and miss signs to your point so um having those conversations now it's all uh like you said a work in progress but literally just had that meeting today let these guys get their feet wet with the clock now we're going to start implementing some signs catcher signs getting that so you can get the throw overs the slide steps the pitch outs get that to the catcher so he can call the game and also let that pitcher be uh in his rhythm and have time to manipulate the clock if he as he chooses that team that you played for in 60 all those players are gone now last couple years it's been a different cubs looking team sure sometimes probably frustrating for you uh you went out this offseason and you made some acquisitions you got an eric hosmer who kind of maybe needs a new environment coming to chicago he's going to be your first baseman bellinger coming from from uh the dodgers a former MVP. Can he get can he get a second wind in Chicago? You got Mancini. Dansby Swanson was one of the big free agents out there this year. It's a new look cub. You got Tyon from from Uncle Aaron's yeah. New York Yankees. So little different look in the rotation. How you looking in spring? I know, I know I think you're four and four. Yep. Three and four. Three and four. Three and four. And we know how important those spring stats are. We were talking about before we started the podcast. Uh, most overrated stat in the history of sports, spring training stats. But going forward with these additions, with the central, how it looks to you, how does it look so far? What, do you, what are you looking forward to in 2023? You know what? We've got we, – you're looking at our roster. We've got a ton of first-rounders. We've got World Series rings all over the place, gold gloves, MVP, uh, real hardware uh, throughout. So we've got winners. We've got proven guys that know how to win. Uh, it's, it's been so exciting to come to spring camp 
and these guys are already on top of their routine. They're already on top of the details. I'm just, we're just facilitating those things right now. We've had to, in the past, you know, little bit, and especially overcoming COVID and how things have adjusted, trying to, in the lockout last year, trying to hold guys' hand, guide them along a little bit more, showing them a little bit more of the details, how to create some of these young guys' routines. We have proven winners, and it's been such a good vibe. These guys come in every day, know their routine, work their butts off, know how to play the game. Um, I couldn't feel a better sense of pride about the group of guys we have and are going in to compete with this year. I'm really excited. And for me, looking, you know, analyzing that position, I look at these guys. These guys got something to prove. A couple of the players that you acquired this offseason, it's like, all right. Like you said, like a, a Cody Bellinger, former MVP, absolute stud, going through some injuries, change of uh, environment, uh, did special things in L.A. Uh, he's looked good. He's a, he's a hard worker. Eric Hosmer going through some of the back end of his stuff. Um, you know, you, you get guys with a little bit of chip on their shoulder and something to prove, going to an offseason, have things to work on. Obviously, Dansby coming in, new contract, wants to prove himself, a proven winner. We took a, a, a gold glove caliber shortstop in Nico Horner, moved him to second base. He's going to be phenomenal, trying to take that next step in his career. Ian Happ won a gold glove, was an all-star for the first time and left last year. Seiya Suzuki, who we gave a $100 million contract in right from Japan, a young man who had a little bit of the injury bug last year, but had some really breakout moments and could be a really special piece for us. Uh, Nick Madrigal uh, coming over. Uh, I, I'm excited, man. We've got, like you said, Trey Mancini going through the rebuild in Baltimore and going through a lot of adversity, getting to go to Houston and win a World Series last year, seeing what that looks like. He's even more hungry. We got gold gloves behind our our, our, our plate defense first type catchers who are going to sneak up with some guys and the pitching staff loves already. Um, yeah, uh, bright future ahead. Got some guys competing for a bullpen spot. We'll see how that shakes out. We got some proven starters. Very cool. And, and when you bring up Swanson, at so many times you, you'll hear fans say, oh, we got his money, he's done. That's, that's BS for the majority of the players out there. I know as a player, w- when I was making a lot of money, they're all, oh, well, you're making money now, so it doesn't matter. I said, no, I don't really care about that check. It's about the pride, and it's about going out here for my teammates and winning. And, and people don't always understand that about athletes. Yeah, there's been a few noted that got paid and kind of shut it down, but that's not the, that's not the norm. It's more, yeah. You know, you're, you're spot on. I, th- I think the, the hard part is, you know, whatever number that is, when you get the big contract is that you try to prove your worth, right? I, I did it and as a backup catcher. When I went to a new team, I wanted to show my teammates, I want to show the fan sure. base, I want to show my coach staff that I was a good enough player to belong here. And that that doesn't matter. The, the number attached to it just makes it that pressure a little bit more. Uh, the great thing about Dansby is I think he's one of those guys that's just always been driven. He's won everywhere he's been, and he's just he's so intense about every detail and winning it's just how he's wired success or not this year this guy's going to make us better whether it's offensive and he goes out and hits 400 and hits 20 jacks you know like what's what we start getting some of these numbers nobody's ever going to live up to that i, I played with a guy jason hayward 100 uh, good friend of mine came up in atlanta came to be one of my teammates huge contract you know everybody thought he was supposed to be this 180 million dollar player he earned that money but he, he helped us win a world series like that, that that's help enough and if we can win another world series uh i think that the salary stuff is is you know that's the business side of the stuff that i stay out of very cool well david ross I, I appreciate you coming out here man that was a lot of fun uh i wish you the best this year uh new look cubs 
in that division, anything can happen. So I wish you all the best. And, and once again, I appreciate you coming out here. I love Thanks, the Brett. dancing with the stars. I love the Saturday Night Live, but I appreciate you coming out. Thanks, Brett. And as we do, each and every Boone podcast, at the end of the podcast, we kick it back to the voice of the podcast. That voice is Dan Levy. Dan? That's going to wrap it up for the Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, and I'm the technical director, producer, and voice of the Boone Podcast. The executive producer is Rich Herrera. The digital content for the Boone Podcast is provided by Liz Landry. Please share the Boone Podcast with neighbors and friends, and make sure you subscribe to the Boone Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, please give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, I'm Dan Levy. Thanks for listening.